Well, good evening once again. We're looking tonight at our second lesson in our series, looking at First and Second Thessalonians, and tonight we're focusing on the church at Thessalonica. And when you talk about the church at Thessalonica, you have to go back to the book of Acts because that's where we find it is being. That's where we find the church or the congregation we might say today there in Thessalonica. We, that's where we find where it begins is back in Acts chapter 17. But this evening, I want to show the background for the church at Thessalonica, but also want to look at how the church there came into existence in the midst of naysayers. If you're you're familiar with Acts 17, you know there's a lot of hatred of the Jews concerning the preaching of Paul and Silas and later of Timothy as well. And so when that church began, as we'll talk about here more as we go through this, it did. It began during the midst of, uh, of being surrounded by those who despised all those who were followers of Christ and all those who would become followers of Christ. So we can learn a lot from them, especially in regards to long-suffering. So we want to begin by looking at the establishment of the church at Thessalonica. And we look at the location. As we look at Acts chapter 17, we find that the location was filled with hard-hearted Jews and those who worshipped idols there in Acts chapter 17. If you look at Acts 17, verse 5, here the Bible says, The Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Now I point that out right away to show you how the Jews, those who were not persuaded, meaning there were some who were, Notice what they did. They becoming envious there in verse 5. The Bible says they took some of the evil men from the marketplace. Now keep in mind, these are supposed to be religious and spiritually minded people because they're listening to Paul and Silas. But we find here not only do they reject their message, but the Bible says they go out, they go out and they find the evil men from the marketplace. And gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar, or we might say in a riot today, and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people, them being a reference to Paul and Silas. It's interesting that these Jews who did not believe were still supposed to be regarded as spiritually-minded people, but they were doing some very evil, evil things here in verse 5, and they will continue to do so as we go through this. If you jump forward to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, we find mention of those who were worshiping idols. He says here, Paul speaking, he says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so those who were there in Thessalonica at the time of Paul and Silas were those who not only included hard-hearted Jews and no doubt some very envious individuals, but also those who were given over to idols, as we find here in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9. We think about what's happening here in this location, and we have to go back to Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, we find the preaching of Paul resulted in many being converted to Christ. Looking at Acts 17, beginning in verse 1, Now when they, that's a reference to Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis, Amphipolis, In Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as was, or as his custom was, went into them. And so that phrase means that it was not uncommon for Paul, when he was traveling, 
Wherever he was going, he would find that synagogue, and he'd go in there, and he'd begin teaching and preaching to them. Which, if you go into the synagogue, what are you going to find? You're going to find Jews. And so that's where Paul went. You find there in verse 2, as the Bible says, as his custom was. He went into them, and for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the Scriptures. That's almost a month, isn't it? Three, three Sabbaths, meaning we understand it to be a Saturday. So it tells you it was at least approximately three weeks that he was preaching to them. Not only on the Sabbath, I'm sure also at other times as well during his time there, but he was teaching to them, mentioned there specifically that on the Sabbath, that's where he was, he was in the synagogue, and he was preaching and teaching those Jews who would listen. Verse 3 says, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Now, we know that no doubt some believed the words of Paul, as we're going to continue to find here, but also some went in the opposite direction. They not only were not persuaded, by, not persuaded but also sought to harm Paul and Silas, and he caused trouble among those who believed in Christ as a result of their words. If you continue reading here before we get to verse 5, we'll find in verse 4, before we get to the Jews who refused to obey, notice what happens in verse 4 as a result of Paul's preaching. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas, which is a way of saying that basically people who, from various different backgrounds, and various, you might say, uh, being you know, well-known or being maybe even educated. That's basically the idea of people from all types of groups who were listening and who were obeying there in verse 4. He says, A great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few, which means there were many, of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Join, joining them implies that they were those who believed the words of Paul and Silas. Now, getting back to what I mentioned a moment ago, there were those who went the opposite direction when they heard the words of Paul. Looking at verse 5 and following, we, as I mentioned before, the Jews went out and found evil men from the marketplace, and they gathered a mob and set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Now, it's interesting, if you look at verse 5, who creates the uproar? the Jews who didn't believe, who attacked the house of Jason, the Jews who would not believe. But in the very next verse, what did they accuse Paul and Silas of doing? Look at verse 6. But when they did not find them, that is Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and then some of the brethren to the rulers of that city, crying out, These men have turned the world upside down, have come here too. Turn the world upside down. But yet in verse 5, who was the one causing the riots? He was the one who set the city in an uproar. See, perspective makes a big difference, isn't it? Because the Jews who were unbelieving saying, it is Paul and Silas who is turning, up, turning the city upside down by their doctrine. But in reality, we find here in verse 5, it was the Jews who went out and found evil men. It were the Jews who gathered a mob. It was the Jews who set the city in an uproar. It was the Jews who attacked the house of Jason. And it was the Jews who were seeking out Paul and Silas. To do what? To no doubt harm them. But in verse 6, when they did not find them, that is Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason, who is no doubt the one who was housing them, obviously, and some, and some brethren to the rulers of the city. So they brought Jason and some of those who are now brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These have turned the world upside down. 
These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That was what they were trying to imply. But before we say any more about that, let's continue reading, looking at verse 7. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Now we know the king, when Paul and others spoke about Christ being king, it was always spiritual in nature. It wasn't a physical, earthly king. But nonetheless, that's what they're trying to say here in verse 7. In verse 8, they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And so you have these Jews who went in the completely opposite direction from those who heard and obeyed in verse 4. And you find these individuals instead who were going out and trying to cause basically as much trouble as they could. But they failed to realize that Paul's gospel message would turn the world that had been turned upside down by sin. It was that gospel message that would turn the world upright again. If the world is turned upside down, it's because of sin. It is the Lord and the word of God and obedience to it which turns the world back up to where it ought to be, which is right in the sight of God. Paul and Silas, however, did not stop preaching, and they found others who were more, as we find in chapter 17 of Acts, who were more fair-minded, a reference aimed at those who were part of the angry mob in Thessalonica. Because we saw back in verse 8, what were they doing? They're saying, look, they're talking about this other king, Jesus. But what happens? We know in verse 9, Paul departs to Berea in verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. A verse we're familiar with, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. He's not talking about those who obey. He's talking about these are more fair-minded than those who, who rebelled, who rejected. He's talking about those Jews who went out and sought the, these evil men. They weren't fair-minded. And so that's why he says in verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the words. He can't be talking about those who obeyed. He's not talking about those he's mentioned in verse 4. Instead, he's talking about those who mentioned in verse 5. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word with all readiness. And searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Who is he talking about? Those in Berea who were ready to hear the gospel in, in comparison to those who were not as we saw back in verse 5 and moving on. We look now how Paul and Silas found souls who were eager to hear and willing to obey, and much to the dismay of the bitter and angry mob who was now following them. As we look at Acts 17, looking at verse 12, Therefore many of them believed. Why did they believe? Because they were more fair-minded, and that they, they received the word of God with our readiness, right? Many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, Prominent women as well as men, which means people who were well known, right? But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. Verse 15 says, So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So what happens? Paul is sent away, then later uh, Silas and Timothy had also come to him as well. But what, what do we find here in verses 12 through 15? We find that they kept on preaching the word of God. We find that those in Thessalonica, they heard, they obeyed. And what happens, as we're going to see here in just a moment, 
when people gather together as a church and follow the New Testament pattern for the church, you become the church, right? Well, we find here in verses 12 through 15 of Acts chapter 17 that Paul and Silas, even though you might say they were ushered out by the angry mob of the Jews, they just went somewhere else and kept on preaching. And what happened? They converted even more people. And when Paul and Silas and and Timothy were followed by those from Thessalonica, what happened? Paul would go somewhere else to do what? Continue to preach and to teach. When was the church established at Thessalonica? When was the church established there? When souls are converted to Christ and begin gathering together as the church and do so in accordance to the New Testament pattern, the church has then been established in that location. Whenever people get together and say, we're going to get together as as the church, and we're going to use the New Testament as our pattern for worship, for salvation, for all those things, the church has then been established, right? See, dominationalism is people getting together and saying, we're going to do things every want and whatever feels good. The church is not that way. The, The pattern that the church follows is that which is laid out in the New Testament. So when Paul and Silas were there in Thessalonica, and individuals began to obey, and then no doubt later, probably after Paul left, began to get together as the church, following the pattern and the things which Paul had discussed, and when things which Paul would also continue to teach to them, as we know, he wrote to them more than once. When they gathered together and followed that New Testament pattern, they were that, the Lord's church in that location. The church of our Lord is universal. There is only one body of Christ, but it has many members that is obedient followers of Christ in various locations. In locations. Thus, there, thus, whenever God's faithful meet as a church and follow the pattern of New Testament Christianity, which includes the organization and worship of the church and so on, then the church has been established in that location. So when was the church established at Thessalonica? When the converted began meeting together as the church. And so what happened in Thessalonica, Paul, when he preached there, people who obeyed and wanted to get together as a church, the church was established. So long as they followed the pattern laid out in the New Testament for the Lord's church. Let's also think about Paul's message there while he was at Thessalonica. Paul taught a message that many hated. Many hated what Paul had to say. Many Jews did not accept the teaching of Christ coming to earth, suffering as a servant, Suffering as a servant of God, dying on the cross, going to the tomb and raising three days later, which in Acts 17, verse 3, is exactly what Paul preached. The Bible says, it says here in verse 3, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and arise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. That's what many of the Jews did not want to hear. This was not the Messiah they had imagined. This was not the image of the, what some might call the mighty Messiah they had been looking for. Paul taught in the presence of direct opposition. And because of the bravery of Paul and Silas and later Timothy, souls were saved and the congregation was established. Paul and others would encourage this new congregation. They would encourage this new body of believers there in Thessalonica, which only tells us there was, without a doubt, a congregation there in Thessalonica now. We find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that Paul writes encouraging words to them. He does so several times throughout 1 and 2 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 3, looking at verse 11 through verse 13, the Bible says, here again Paul speaking, Now may our God and and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. 
And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so he may establish your so he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. What was he doing? He was encouraging those members there at Thessalonica. Timothy was later sent to, to encourage them as well. As we back up a little bit to 1 Thessalonians 3, we're looking at verses 1 and 2. Here Paul says, Therefore, we can no, when we can no longer endure it, we thought it, be good, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. He wasn't sending Timothy just to go talk to a few people. He was sending him to go talk and to encourage the congregation that was now there in Thessalonica. Some lessons for us to think about today. The Lord's body can grow even in the presence of naysayers. Because that's what happened there in Acts 17. You think about it, it is a unique situation when people are hearing the gospel and obeying and have at the same time those who became so bitter and so angry that they actually sought out known evil men to create a riot and go after Paul and Silas. So that is a special kind of hate, as I say sometimes, to be able to have that mindset to go out and do those types of things. The, the brethren at Thessalonica were determined to know the truth and to obey it. We look at First Thessalonians 1 and verse 6. He said, And you became fathers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, became followers of us does not mean they became Paulites or Silasites. It means they believed their word, and as a result, they became followers of the Lord, just like Paul and Silas. So we don't want to confuse that. They became followers of them in the sense that they, too, are following the Lord. He says here in verse 6, "...having received the word in much affliction." Well, that affliction is found in Acts 17 and verse 6, or verse 5 and following, with the Jews and their outright hatred of what was happening. The church at Thessalonica is often mentioned by Paul as being faithful during difficult times. It doesn't mean they were perfect, but it does mean they were trying to be loyal to God. Looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, looking at verse 1 and following, the Bible says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought, thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and said, Timothy, our brother and minister of God. Now, the we there, back in verse 1, is reference to Paul and Silas. Some even include Luke there because of the way it's written. But here, because this is in Thessalonica or Thessalonians, it refers to Paul and Silas most likely. But he sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. So he sent them, sent Timothy to encourage them to help them not to be shaken or rattled. You think about it, how bad would it look, or how bad could it be when you look around and see, see riots going on directly because of the preaching of the gospel? Because that's exactly what's happening in Acts 17. And as a result of that, we find what we find here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and following, where Paul is responding to that, and much of it is used to encourage them to remain faithful to God. We continue reading here, looking at verse 4. He says, For in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, which means he told them that when you become a follower of Christ, what's going to happen? That we and you are going to suffer because of it. 
We've talked about that idea before, telling people the importance of counting the cost. Look there at verse 4. For we told you before, when we were with you, that, that we would suffer tribulation. We being referenced to it. Only, only he's talking about Paul and Silas. I think he's talking about brethren, which included them. We would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know, right? Look at verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain, which means unless you gave in and fell back into the world, right? Look at verse 6 here. 6 and 7. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. They were remaining faithful to God. That was Timothy's report back. This does not mean that Timothy was in any way over that congregation. It doesn't mean that Paul or Silas was in any way over that congregation. It simply means that they were concerned about them because many of them, if not most of them, were what we call babes in Christ. They were newly converted, right? Acts 17, verse 1 and following. And so what were they trying to do to make sure that they were not falling away because of the incredible temptation and persecution? Paul encouraged them, Timothy encouraged them, and no doubt Silas did as well. The Bible tells us there in Acts 17 that Paul went to Athens first and then Silas and Timothy, which tells you that Silas and Timothy remained behind there in that congregation to encourage them. Not as overseers, but simply as trying to be encouragers. Another lesson for us today is to notice that Paul's visit was fruitful. It was a fruitful visit. He accomplished a whole lot there in Acts 17. Now I'm sure some would say, well how can you say he accomplished a whole lot when he basically was pushed out by the Jews? when he was having to go to Berea and then, even, then being followed by the Jews. Well, what did Paul do in Acts 17? He preached the gospel. As soon as he began preaching the gospel, Paul and Silas were successful because that was their entire goal. Whether or not someone obeyed the gospel, that did not keep them from being successful. The gospel was being preached. They were having a chance to obey. They were already successful. But they were being successful and being very fruitful, as we know, as we look at Acts 17 and verse 4, that many obeyed, right? The Bible tells us not just a few, which means there were a lot of people. You know, if one or two were, were converted, the Jews probably would have never made a sound. But when you have a lot of people being converted, and you have a lot of people who are, you might say, known among the community, right? It talks about devout men and those... Who, who are you know, a, a great, I forgot the wording there, but they were of great importance, right? As you also find there in Acts 17, uh, verse 10 and following. And so that's why they took notice. Souls were saved in a congregation the Lord's people was established. It also would seem they had endured persecution in order to remain loyal to God. Going and looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, looking at verses 13 to 14. He says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is as, as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. 
He says here in verse 14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. What did Paul just say? That they were following the same patterns every other church of Christ that was established. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. You were doing the exact same thing that they were doing. They weren't doing their own thing. They were doing what everyone else was doing, which was following that New Testament pattern. But you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the, from the Judeans. So what happens? He says they suffered, and so did you. Why? Because you were being imitators of Christ. You were following that pattern that Christ has laid out, and the apostles were, were still teaching and preaching. And so that congregation was fruitful, not only because... Souls were, or that visit was fruitful not only because souls were being baptized and being obeying the gospel, but because the church was established, because they were following that pattern, it being imitators of the churches of God, as we find there in verse 14. And they were doing what? They were, were remaining loyal to God. When Paul wrote to them, he got back good reports, didn't he? When he said Timothy to him, he got back good reports. When he went, he was encouraged. When he writes later about the second coming of things, it was to do what? To help them understand more. It wasn't nothing. It was a sign of them falling away. It was constantly them telling them, but we don't want you to be confused. Here's the truth concerning the second coming and so on, right? He wanted them to have full knowledge and to know and understand the very best of their ability about those things. It doesn't seem as a sign of them falling away. We can today still follow the example of those in Thessalonica in that they did not allow persecution to prevent them from being loyal to God. You think about those types of situations. That direct persecution as a direct result of the preaching of the gospel. Go back for just a moment. This won't be on the screen. But go back for just a moment in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, and just imagine for a moment, if you will... Put it in 2021 terms. Imagine we had a gospel meeting and the preacher was staying at your house and the group of people got really upset. So they got a larger group of people together, started tearing things up around the town, and then next thing you know, they're at your door looking for that preacher. That's what they were doing with Paul and Silas. They gathered up the mob, started making some chaos, and then they went looking for Paul and Silas to do them harm. You go back and look at Acts 17, looking at verse 5. For the Jews who were not persuaded. I think that's putting it mildly, isn't it? Instead, what happened? Becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. That is Paul and Silas. That is a whole lot of anger and hate just because the gospel is preached, just because souls were obeying, just because a congregation was being established, they didn't like it. Instead of looking into it more to make absolutely sure that they were in the right, which they were not, right? The last thing that they wanted to hear was more of Paul and Silas. 
That's why they went. That's why they went looking for him. That's why Paul and Silas were uh, were sent to Berea. That's why later, when the mob followed them, they were told to go somewhere else, right, to Athens, because the Jews did not want to hear. We know today that's not too different. There are those who are going to be similar to this. Hope they don't become bobby. Those who will not want to hear. Those who will become angry. But we can, just like those in that congregation there in Thessalonica, remain faithful to God despite what others may be doing around us. Despite how others may respond to the truth, we have to be those who are humble enough to look at what God requires of us and look at our own lives and make those changes that allow us to be pleasing in the sight of God. We today can be loyal to God if we determine to do so. Paul was very determined to make sure those there in Thessalonica were faithful to God. He worried about them. He prayed for them. He was encouraged by them. But it doesn't seem like they were ever very far from his mind. Because he wrote to them, we know, at least twice, right? Concerned about them, caring for them. Why? Because they were brothers and sisters in Christ now. They were individuals whom he had great concern for because he loved them just like any brother or sister in Christ should love one another, right? You think about Paul and Silas going to Thessalonica. You think about maybe in your own life sometime when you've been talking to someone about the Bible or about the church, maybe just some church event. Sometimes isn't the response less than what you really want it to be. Sometimes we have those who get upset. We have those who, probably more often than not, instead of getting upset, they just ignore you or move on, start talking about something else. But Paul and Silas, they didn't stop preaching and teaching, did they? The congregation there in Thessalonica did not stop remaining faithful to God. And the point I'm making is, no matter what happens, no matter who we encounter, how they respond... We should have that determination that we're going to keep moving forward. Paul and Silas did. For them, it involved literal steps of moving forward to Berea, moving forward to Athens, and so on. But they kept on preaching and teaching. They didn't stop. You think they were bothered by what was happening? I think there's no question they were. Why didn't they talk about their suffering so much? Because it was a constant thing. But Paul also is the same man who said he learned in whatever city he was to be content. Whether we think things are going great or we think things could be going better, we have to be those who keep telling ourselves we have to keep moving forward. And that's what happened with the church in Thessalonica. That's something we can read about today because they didn't stop after hearing the gospel. They continue to be imitators of, of Christ. When Paul speaks of them following Acts 17, it's after their conversion it's after the establishment of the church in that, in that location, which tells us that they kept on keeping on, as we say sometimes. That despite everything else that was still going on, they, they didn't just hear the gospel and then go back home. No, they kept on remaining faithful to God. That's why we read about Paul talking about how they were imitators of the churches of God in Judea, because that means they were continuing to, to follow that New Testament pattern day in and day out. They continue to endure persecution day in and day out. One of the most vulnerable times for a Christian is no doubt when a person is newly converted. 
Because we see over and over again, especially in the Scriptures, that that's when we are facing the most difficulty. You think about Saul, for example, the very man we're talking about right now. When he was converted, after Ananias came to him, not on the road, but when Ananias came to him and he obeyed after being told what he must do, how soon did persecution start for Saul? It would seem almost immediately, right? If you remember, he had to leave that city through a hole in the wall being let down in the basket, right? We find numerous times of individuals who, well, after their conversion, you know, trying to do what is right inside of God, they face severe persecution. And when Saul was preaching there in Acts 17 and trying to help individuals come to Christ, is because he believed sincerely and was convicted in the sense that Christ was and is the Son of God. And he was wanting to pass on that same deep conviction to all those he came in contact with. And in Thessalonica, he just happened to come in contact with some brethren who were unwilling to compromise, who, some who, those who were not willing to listen. But he also came in contact with true brethren, I should say, who, when they heard the Word of God, they, they received it, they obeyed it, and they put it into action and since the church came into existence in that location. Now, I can't go much further without getting on other, other individuals' lessons, including my own in the future, but we think about the importance of the church of Thessalonica. It did not come into existence in a period of great love and affection for the truth. It came into existence in a period of great persecution, as Paul says. They, they received the word in the midst of affliction. They received it through persecution. They received it through affliction. That means in spite of what was going on, they still obeyed. How hard is it to listen and to be the outcast when people are literally are rioting and seeking out those, those individuals that are teaching that very thing? It would be very brave to be living in the time period of Saul, or Paul rather, in Acts 17, obeying the gospel, and then turning around and seeing those who you once were a part of going after those who just taught you the truth. It's a great determination. And so when we think about that church in Thessalonica, we want to follow their example in that we do not allow persecution or hardship or whatever else may come down the pipe to, to push us off the way of truth. Instead, we follow the example of those in Thessalonica. We follow the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy. And we keep moving forward, preaching and teaching and reaching all those who will allow themselves to be reached with the gospel, those who will hear and those who will obey. This evening, as you think about these things, we think about all those things we talked about here with the church and Thessalonica and the many things we can learn from their example. Sometimes we allow ourselves, we're not careful to become less enthused about the gospel or less enthused about the church than we should. We lose some of our zeal. There's never a wrong time, never a bad time to decide if we're going to pick up the torch again and start moving forward with zeal that we once had before. So this evening we can help you encourage in any way and come forward now. That's good. We stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>